This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Anishinaabeg and the Haudenosaunee people. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this territory, even virtually, and to be in this community. We commit ourselves to the work of reconciliation among settlers and Indigenous peoples, and we acknowledge that not all settlers were brought here by choice. Through this land acknowledgement, our intent is to honor and show gratitude to the original and ongoing stewards of the land as a sign of respect and willingness to learn and heal. We are mindful of broken covenants and the need to reconcile with all our relations. Together, may we care for this land and each other, drawing on the strength of our mutual history of nation building through peace and friendship, being mindful of the ancestors and generations to come. Welcome to The Intersection, where we are building community through candid conversations that lift, inspire, and advance social change. Did your parents ever talk to you about money? What is your personal relationship with money? Have you ever thought of that? Professionals who work with high net individuals need to first understand their own money mindset before they can truly serve their donors and their missions fully. Paul Nazareth and I, Kimberly McKenzie, are thrilled to welcome Jenny Mitchell into the hub today. Jenny has done a lot of work in this area personally and professionally. She is the president of Chavender and has a vision to help more people do more good. Jenny works closely with nonprofit leaders to change the world one mission at a time. Her agency, Chavender, assists clients across Canada and the U.S. to inspire their donors and achieve their fundraising goals through personalized fundraising, coaching, and training. What you may not know about Jenny is that before she completed her CFRE, she trained as a classical musician and earned her doctorate of musical arts. She brings this creative approach, her drive for excellence, and her passion for people to the world of nonprofits and executives as a coach. So I'm super excited to get right into this conversation and welcome Jenny to the Hub. Jenny, welcome to the Hub. Mmm, so delighted to be here. Can't wait for the juicy convos. <laughs> it's so nice to have you. I know, Paul, you've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Why, Paul? Why do you want to dig into this today? Because, you know, I think that that our peers in our sector has been, you know, struggling for a little while, and especially in pandemics, too. We were talking before about the concept of fundraising as squeezing blood from a stone, uh, and one of the challenges is it's the magic of trying to, you know, often when we can't get it, we plug the engine into our, us, our bodies, and we try right. to fuel the mission with our own blood. And I've, I, you know, I really think our conversation today has the building blocks because it's done this for me to help rejuvenate the energy in the work we do and how we do it. And it's plugged into an amazing moment of personal purpose, social purpose, but also healing when it comes to money and mission around mm-hmm. racial, gender, justice, equity, everything, if we can get back to the core. And this mm-hmm. is about finding energy from a new core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Finding wow. energy from a new core. I'm a Gen X, so I speak movies. That's my language. <laughs> if you remember in, in Iron Man 2, when he literally found a new element on the periodic table. And Mage. so he created a new thing that he stuck in his chest and gave him new a new type of power. But mm. it was actually literally a non-toxic power that wasn't killing him, which in the fundraising very often we have, mm. there's a toxic power that I've observed, yeah. especially when we talked in the pandemic about how do we help? And people did a lot of things that made them feel good. And as much as mm. we love our colleagues at food banks and things like that, it, you know, for a lot of donors, it's about feeling good. And for fundraisers, that's an easier way to raise the lower hanging fruit money. Mm. You want to go deeper into the bigger dollar, into the more dedicated dollar from everyday people, not just the traditional wealthy, then we got to dive into meaning. And that's one of the things I think mm. that scared people for a long time that maybe we all had to confront over the past couple of years that we're ready to do. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I can bring in a new periodic table, but what I can <laughs> item in the periodic table, but what I can speak to picking up on that, Paul is, you know, we have this culture that to give up your left kidney is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that narrative needs to change. I'm hundred percent behind that. And in my journey as a fundraiser, professional fundraiser, and as an executive coach, one of the, my big ahas is the more time I spend in relationship with myself, the more I work on myself, which is not the narrative of not-for-profit, right? Our narrative of not-for-profit is sacrifice, 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 be a martyr. But the more I spend time on myself, the more my help and my goodness and my opportunities and my strengths and my, my uh, gifts are rippled out into the sector. But it takes a great amount of confidence and maybe that's what we're going to talk about today to put up those kinds of boundaries, um, to not to step away from the toxic cultures, to stand away from the dialogue at the fridge that is really draining you and not allowing you to go out and find that new periodic item on the periodic table or dig deeper, which this pandemic has really forced us to do. So excited to talk a bit about mindset today. Yeah. And, and again, for me, it's a distinct, it's two different distinct conversations. The mindset of our peers in the profession, fundraising, and then the, the mindset of the culture of fundraising, uh, you know, again, for, for years, boards, and sometimes they would explicitly say to me when I was doing training, and I remember they would say this thing, and I'm like, I don't have time to unpack that. And they would say things like, we believe in community fundraising uh, because we don't want the wealthiest money. I know. And I'd be like, oh, boop, there's something else there that I don't have time to unpack, that flaming bag of poop. I'm not going to step on that. Uh, but it was huge. People saying we are not open to greater dollars. We are not open to this kind of opportunity. And I'm like this stuff back there. And then again, as fundraisers, mm -hmm. I can hear people starting have, especially in my work too, people saying things like, you know, more, a lot of Canadians actually like taxes. I'll never forget being yelled at by a border guard when he was like, nah, man, you're good. I said, no, I actually want to pay the taxes. If you can let me, he goes, no, I'm telling you, you're good. And I said, I want to pay. And he goes, you mm. make me sick, <laughs> Canadians. And I was like, because we believe in the collective. We believe in social, right. social safety net. And so there's, there's an element there that we have been ignoring. 
mm-hmm. and not you know confronting on wealth, tax, wealth and tax is charitable giving alleviation of its connections to supremacy. I at one point thought that if we stop and we pull on the, these threads, we'll destroy fundraising. I was deathly afraid. Because how can I, as a fundraiser, stop to unpack all these issues while I'm trying to raise that money? Hey, which threads specifically are you talking about? If we pull on which threads? All wealthy money is white, came from extraction. Uh, You know, when people, I'll never forget when I got to talk to students for a few years about, I said, you know, there's some people whose business is crushing human souls. Why would their philanthropy be any different? And the the students would always be, I said, but you got a dude who made money over five generations from fracking and slavery. And now he's donating to you to try to charity wash that and wants his name on a building for social justice. You don't see that that's going to get weird. And they were like, are we allowed to think about these things? You know, the thing is we've been saying that for a long time and we didn't. And there's a whole bunch of us, me included, who were part of all of it, who are saying, "Uh Oh, now we're going to have to now. And okay. it's going to become part of business practice with ESG and all this stuff. It sounds like we're talking about, we're just teeing up this conversation and it sounds like we're talking about a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. Paul, you, I know you're super passionate about this and this podcast does tend to lean into trying to create change in conversation around uh, racial issues in every episode it comes up. It's just, it's just a common thread. And so this idea of reparations and where money's coming from Mm -hmm. and should we be taking it, these are important conversations. You're absolutely right. Threads that we need to pull and unpack and discuss. And some organizations are going to choose to um, accept gifts from unsavory sources so that they can do more good in the world. And other organizations are going to choose not to. And, and I think your key point is you have to make it, uh, you have to be intentional about that. Yeah. And then this other idea, Jenny, I know you've done a lot of work in this space and it's been wonderful to be a friend and a colleague and have our careers evolve the way that they have. Um, Money mindset, money mindset for ourselves as business leaders. You know, we, you and I own businesses. We are entrepreneurs that serve social good. Um, And also mindset within charitable organizations around the budgeting process. And I mean, there's so many things to unpack. Paul, Hmm. I want to park the race relations thing just for a little bit, if we can, and then we'll get into it. But um, what do you think around organizational money mindset, Jenny? What do you think the biggest problem is that you're seeing? Scarcity. Mm-hmm. So I want to challenge us all. And I think a right way to start this conversation is, is it the money that's bad? Or is it the people with the money that's bad? And, and that's the external. Uh, yeah. I think what Kimberly's saying too is, let's start with the internal. Let's talk yeah. about in fundraisers yeah right so in, in the scarcity so, yeah yeah i think scarcity so i i have done a lot of work on this money mindset partly because it's been part of my personal journey and if you want to hear more about that you're absolutely I do. welcome to do yeah. that now yeah Can okay yeah. so on a very simple level this is so selfish and personal but i think it's a great example i wanted a new kitchen mm-hmm. and i wanted the money to do the new kitchen and I had never been in a position in my life 
privileged that I never really wanted for anything. And all of a sudden I wanted to improve this kitchen. And I'm not kidding. Like every time I washed my dishes, I whacked my head on the, the door that kept opening right in front of me. I had a bruise. I have been was, in your kitchen. Oh my God. <laughs> I want out. So I had to really confront in myself all my issues about money because my narrative about money was, oh, poor me. Nobody ever listens to what I want in my house. And poor me, you know, I don't make enough money, yada, yada, whatever that narrative is. And I had to confront that and say, well, what is it I really want? And what am I willing to sacrifice to do it? And so fast forward, I actually hired a cash flow expert to take a look at my money. And um, it doesn't matter what scale you're at, what place you're at. This isn't about different tax brackets. This is about getting control and looking, getting, pulling yourself out of the ostrich mode, right? Because the ostrich mode is it's all fine, la, la, la. And so when we did that cash flow exercise, I realized where I could save monthly and how long it would take me to get to that place that I had. Two really interesting things happened. One was I realized how much money we were spending on groceries and I started to conserve. And to the point where my children, my teenagers are coming down the stairs saying, mom, there's nothing in the fridge. What are we going to eat for dinner? All of a sudden Uber Eats disappeared. And man, you wouldn't believe the kind of sacrifices I got. Of course, I'm a fundraiser. You give me a target, man. I'm like all in, right? I'm like right in. So I was saving money. And the second thing that happened was that the conversations with my partner changed because no longer was I coming, okay, using the charity analogy, poor me, please give me money for my project. It was I have a plan. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. How can we make this work as a priority for both of us? And, and I'm speaking his language in this case, my partner is my husband, Steve, who's an accumulator who loves money. I mean, man loves money. It's like exciting for him to open his, his bank account. And there are lots of us out there. This is not a judgment. There's no judgment here, but I saw money as opportunity to me. Money was about building the Taj Mahal, right? Um, It was about bringing new things into my world. And so I suddenly was able to talk in his language through the money mindset work I was doing. And together we were able to achieve something that wasn't based on old narratives about money. So that actually was kind of the biggest, it's been a transformational for my business as well, because I thought, well, how many, how could I teach this to other people? And that's what I hope, Paul, to your mission piece, what I hope to teach to the not-for-profit world is the way you do money personally is not necessarily the way other people do money. And that's totally okay. As long as you notice the lens. So we have to stop judging people with money Mm -hmm. with all of our core belief baggage that we learned at our kitchen tables. Mm. And, And internally, again, before we leave the shop, we were doing that to each other and ourselves. You know, again, Jenny, you came in and did this with my team and we mm-hmm. realized, I realized that I was resentful of some yeah. of my own peers and didn't understand it's because they were in a scarcity or they were the accumulators or the protectors of money, et cetera. Yeah. And again, as fundraisers, very often, we have to be the energy of opportunity. We have to go out and create these things. And so we are the ambitious and the inspirational, aspirational. But you know, when you've got people who say, but I've got to hold on the fort, we've got to pay staff and all that. And all of a sudden, the energies shift. Mm-hmm. There's less blaming. There's less yeah, resentment. Totally. And actually, there, there actually became a bit more respect to say, cool, you're the protector and you'll make sure we're okay. And now you understand what, that this is what I've got to do. And you'll resent me a little less because I got to go out and hunt. So and you, can, 
Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry, finish. Finish. Your uh, it's, it, that was it. Please, Kimberly, because you're always the person. Well, goes... I, we're talking about accumulators, and mm. you, you like it sounds like there's certain personalities. Is mm. there a denier? <laughs> I live. <laughs> I live in a yeah. in a privileged world as well, and yeah. have redesigned my life to pursue purpose before profit. Yep. And also. I live with a, a tech guy who has yeah. a spreadsheet and he tracks every single expense in the spreadsheet mm-hmm. and every few months we'll sit down and go, okay, where can we cut? How are mm-hmm. things going? But I don't really want to look at the spreadsheet for November and December. Like I just want right. to fast forward to January, February yeah. when we're conserving. And yeah. I would just rather not even know what happened in November, sure. December, but so there's deniers, accumulators. What else, Paul, you mentioned something else. Is there a denier or did I just make that up? Okay. You can, you can be a denier if you want to be Kimberly. I know totally I, I'm because I need to talk about money. I know, well, I know we should. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, should's a big word. We could unpack that okay. too, but mm. what, what Paul said was really interesting. He talked about letting go of the resentment. And I think mm. that, that maybe at the root of this, it's about compassion for other perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. It's this understanding that we all contribute. I have felt so bad about myself, like, and I hear it in your voice, Kimberly, about my spending and my, you know, I, there's a guilt attached has been, and um, the only way to alleviate those feelings is to take a look at the facts, right? So anybody who I work with, you know, are, it's, about, it's about going to take a look at the data. The data doesn't lie. The data has no emotion to it. I'll give you a very quick example, and I'm happy to share some of the archetypes. You know that person on your board, everybody listening has one who is so happy that the endowment is growing right? Mm. It's just so keen that every, we've hit 5 million, we've hit 20 million. And then there's the polar opposite person's like, why the heck do we have all this donor money sitting in a pool not being used? Yeah, that's probably the polar opposite, right? Yeah. Of the spectrum, then there are the people that believe like the romantics believe in an experience, they will pay the big bucks for tickets to a concert, you all have a friend like that. Yeah, right, Kimberly, that's you. Right? Rolling Stones. That was my last concert. <laughs> Right. So these <laughs> yeah. things matter to you. And yeah. it's about values. Right. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones, um, the nurturer is the profile where, you know, they they wish they had more money to give to all the things that they care about. They're they're built hardwired for that. Um, these are the maverick. We've all met the donor who wants to be the first one in only wants to have the lead gift and prefers if it's a pilot project. You know, and you would never bring that project to your accumulator donor, right? Because they want to try it in true. Um, also, how you message this stuff. So messaging to a romantic about the experience of it rather than to you know, the accumulator really honestly wants the project budget. Um, and so all of these different profiles um, show us different ways to do money, build understanding between mm-hmm. us and remove those uh what's the word subconscious beliefs that are driving Kimberly's comment of, I just don't want to talk about mm-hmm. right. November, mm-hmm. December, right. Mm-hmm. And put them out on the table for us to, at that point. So, so what, right. Like, um, and you know, you asked about organizational, I believe there is an organizational money mindset too. You mm-hmm. will see it in the first meeting, whether the mm-hmm. first thing they talk about is the budget or the first thing they talk about is where the programming is going right? and the money will work itself out. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's that is a smell in the culture. Yeah. Nothing wrong with either one. It's just being aware of which lens you're looking through. 
Okay, my, my experience has been when we look at organizationally, and I said this when I was consulting, if I could wave a magic wand and help every organization not have to worry about money just for a little yeah. while, just, yeah. just do what you know is the right thing to do to deliver your programs and engage your donors. Just put people first and relationships first. And guess what? When you can shift to that place mm. where money isn't the key driver for mm. every decision, then the money comes. It just does. And it, may, it reminds me of a time right after, this is a little bit personal, but right after um, my divorce, I was going to say first divorce. I'm only having one divorce, <laughs> FYI. But um, to all you guys out there who might be wondering, I'm just having one divorce. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so it was really tough. I was out of work and I my family was splitting up and I was selling my marital home and my daughter was a horseback rider. Mm. And I just, she just needed to like, that's the most expensive sport in the world to give your kid, but she was so good at it. And she was so stressed out about how she would pay for her next competition. And I remember very clearly saying to her mm. in the car, don't worry about it. it it's going to happen just have faith. And this might sound a little naive, but sure enough, didn't some tax return check or something showed up in the mail that made it possible for her to do that. And I don't even know if this is a relevant story, but it, oh, yes, it is. is it, oh. it does oh, yeah. this tie into what we're talking about or am I just in therapy right now? No, it was, no. it yeah. was, but, but it was, it was, let's just focus on the fact that we are going to manifest that competition and it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So this, the universe has this magical way of providing for you when you let it know what you need. I think so. I think so. Also, once you dive into the, your relationship with money and your relationship with scarcity or abundance, we move. Cause this is what happened was the result as well with my team. We went from assuming everyone has the same motivations, the same mm. powers, the same drawbacks and weaknesses. We were playing chess Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing checkers. And then when we learned how everybody moves, all right, you're mm-hmm. the you're the knight, mm-hmm. you only move in mm-hmm. elves, you're the bishop <laughs> diagonally. Now we know how everybody moves, we're playing chess. And we're able mm. to do more because we know, okay, we're going to have to do this project, but it's going to have to be very meticulously managed. And that's the project manager. We need someone aspirational on what is a sales goal. We need someone fearless to go out into Mm -hmm. the darkness Mm -hmm. and have the courage to fight Mm -hmm. those monsters. That's Mm -hmm. your person who has the armor Mm -hmm. up. Like Mm -hmm. then we know who can do what, and we can also know what not to put on people. Because again, just this story, Kimberly, is highly relevant because Mm -hmm. fundraisers are human beings. I actually tried Mm -hmm. to deny that in my life for a long time and try to have as little other things in there because we couldn't quote unquote afford to, are we allowed to? Again, every fundraiser heard the story about should you ever fly first class? Hmm. We've put all these things on ourselves hmm. and it's time to, at least for me, let them go. And when hmm. I did and embrace the possibility, the abundance, I've been scared of money. Again, our employers, especially in nonprofit, have put this thing in our head so you don't deserve more. Don't even ask for it. Mm-hmm. Again, all these millennials who are running from all these professionals, bravo, go renovate your vans and live in a forest and, and don't do this stuff. But if you want to do this stuff, it's time to say, 
I'm allowed to have a portfolio career. I'm going to be a fundraiser, but damn right, I'm going to have a side business that will give me those things that it's not just want, but yes, you do deserve. Especially things okay. like providing for kids. This idea, this idea of worthiness, that's uh-huh. very, very interesting. But uh-huh. before we get into that, I just want to say, first of all, I like flying first class. Like, you know. You're not a bad person because <laughs> you like flying first class. Mm-hmm. I did, for me, you were you were saying, you know, the per, the romantic who will spend extra money. I will spend extra money to get somewhere without swollen ankles. Okay, and, and that's and some important to me. For like fifteen years to get the free upgrade because of the points, and you right, have- exactly, exactly. But then even saying that, you know, as long as we're holding a mirror up to this, even saying that. I will invest extra money not to have swollen ankles. I acknowledge that is a position of privilege because we also have to recognize that there are people working in our organizations who aren't sure whether they're going to be able to pay their rent this month because our organizations might have a $5 million endowment, but they're not paying their staff a living wage. Mm. And that is, so this idea of your chess pieces, Paul, is so interesting to me because one month, you know, I, I have wondered where I'm going to live next Mm -hmm. month. Like I have, I have wrestled with the possibility of being homeless and I have enjoyed the privilege of being able to fly first class. And so these things are going to shift. You're not always going to be the same chess piece. And we need to acknowledge that within our organizations as we have this conversation. But the problem is, this is the problem I think we're trying to solve, is that charities by and large don't have these conversations at all, right? You facilitate them and God love you both. You've helped my organization to have these conversations in the past couple of years, but it's the self work. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks that all the work has to be done outside Mm-hmm. When we've got to have more individuals mm. do the self-work, confront my feelings about worthiness, yeah. and organizations to do the self-work to confront our feelings about scarcity. <laughs> and a, 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 there was a CBC podcast. I didn't even know this is an economic theory they teach in business school called the endowment effect. Mm. And, oh, really? It was just, I'll share with you, it was, a, it was CBC yeah. Spark. It was a technology conversation. But they said it's one of the most dangerous things in business that when you create the wall, the endowment, then you've dammed up the water and you have to protect it. And when they said that, everything, oh my gosh. Of all the things we do to protect and scarcity as opposed to acquire an abundance. And again, both of you, we were talking about this today too, why we as fundraisers got to go out there, mm-hmm. hang out with more entrepreneurs and more yeah. people that will bring yeah. us that energy. My, my old colleague once said, Paul, you went to work in a bank. I had left uh, the religious sector because you wanted to drop that money mindset of mm-hmm. money as evil, as wealth as evil, because we need that money. Mm-hmm. You know, and once I let some of that go, in, what, what happened? The, it came in the millions of dollars. Right? So, yeah. to, to pick up on the personal growth piece that I really can stand behind because, you know, we hear a lot in our, in our narrative about toxic work environments, and, and I feel for all those people. Mm-hmm. And this isn't an in, indictment. You can take this how you want, but at the end of the day, you can only control yourself, right? At the end of the day, you can only control how you show up, 
what you decide to listen to or not listen to and where you decide to stay and work. And as hard as that decision might be for a mid-level fundraiser to leave that toxic work environment, you are either a victim of it, Mm. right? And people won't like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You are either a victim of it or you choose to make a change. And the minute you make that internal decision that you are worth more than that toxic work environment, Mm -hmm. your personal work has begun. Mm -hmm. Amen, sister. Yes, he has had that conversation, Jenny, standing in front of a McDonald's in a snowstorm in like 2012. And when I, again, you just self-work. Once you do it, your entire life and vision shifts Mm -hmm. and again once you also get those things in your life Mm -hmm. and we got to set those goals and achieve them again my mind was very similar to Kimberly in that I wanted to do something for one of my children Mm -hmm. that was outside of the norm Mm -hmm. it wasn't just afforded or not afforded even doing it made me feel uncomfortable yeah oh I really want to know what it is now it was just about it was about taking my oldest child on on a trip that was about and was about aesthetics was about a trip to go to Halifax, uh, which is just a beautiful food city that has the most mm-hmm. amount of farmers markets uh, in the downtown core. Oh, neat. And spend just 72 hours between farmers markets and yes, eating as many oysters as humanly possible. <laughs> uh, and people say to me, oysters are like cigars and scotch. We nonprofit people shouldn't admit to liking them. And there was so much energy packed into that. And when I mm-hmm. let go and said, Two, because I actually said to myself, you're not allowed to spend money on that with your nonprofit salary. Mm -hmm. I actually went out and started a business to get external money that wasn't tainted by nonprofit attitudes. No way. I did. And I had to, I started an entirely new revenue stream just to pay for that. So I wouldn't feel guilty paying for my aspiration with scarcity money. I didn't mean to sound judgmental, Paul. I'm just really surprised because when you you work hard for your money and you can do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. I tweet about, I tweet about oysters and people are like, Oh my goodness. You know, the whole kind of life you live in. Yeah. When when that happens as, as again, people are not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway, it says more about them than it does about you. And I think at the end, I'm in a place now where, you know, I got another, I'm looking down the barrel of the next 50 years and I don't have time to, I have to focus on me. I have to focus on the way I think I can make a contribution in the world, or I hope I can make a contribution in the world because um, there's only so many years left for me now, guys. I'm actually at that place where I'm saying it's really hard because I am the Gen Xers on this well, call, by the way. Well, it's like the old days, I thought I could just pedal faster, right? And mm-hmm. get through it all. I honestly thought if I just pedal a little faster, it'll be fine. I'll take it on. And for yeah. those of you listening that are in that place, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you're on a unicycle and there's going to be a moment when you're going to falter. And so now my new narrative is I, I, there is enough, this is it, that there's enough time for the things that are most important to me. Yeah. And unfortunately there, I'm not going to get to do, cause I'm like a, all over the place and all the things I want to do, but I'm intentionally picking the ones that I want mm-hmm. to do the most this year and that's how I build to go back to that word my worthiness and my contribution mm-hmm. and you know I gotta say Gen Z right now is saying I'm not even gonna get on that bike yeah and I, right. I admire them I'm I'm I telling as many as I can to support run for the hills 
If you think you can create a better life with these different things as part of it, and it means creating something new that never existed before, again, things like portfolio careers, where you have multiple yeah. uh, different jobs that you kind of cobble together that makes the living, but a better quality of life. Mm-hmm. Don't get on the bike. Don't take the nonprofit job for $28,000. Good Lord. It's time oh to Lord. give ourselves permission, whatever age you're at, whatever age and stage to say, we've got to tell the sector, these are no longer acceptable. And it's broader than the sector, Paul. So uh, one of my pandemic conversations has been with a um, nephrologist friend of mine. Who's a What's very, a nephrologist? What is that? Uh, kidney, kidney. Mm, okay. Not necrophilia. Just want to say that. <laughs> Not that one. Um, just adding in a little bit of humor there. And she talks about her stepping away from her role and her physician and going to 50%, which for them is really regular work for the rest of us. So we think we hold this badge of honor, Paul, in the not-for-profit sector. And one of the things that she's talking about is the next generation of doctors is not schooled the same way. They, the, the Gen X, we are the ones that held the torch, right? Oh, you want me on call for 72 hours? Okay, I'll do that. You know, um, showing up at the, at the emergency room and the, and the attending physician turning to her and saying, don't you dare call me, right? You are on your own. You are a, you're a resident. Figure it out. And what's happening is that the next generation of physicians are not accepting that quote. They have been taught differently. They've had different expectations. And so they're like, no, yeah, no, I'm just, I can't do that, that uh, call on the Friday. And my, mm-hmm. my call out here is not to change. I, I'm with you, Paul, about the Gen Z. But for those of us that are in those senior leadership positions, you cannot take on the burden you cannot take on the burden of that entire generation. You must put up boundaries for yourself mm-hmm. from because we need you too much. Mm-hmm. Magic word, boundaries. Again, and both of you in different times have, you know, you do this in your work for individuals and institutions. If you don't do again that self-work to draw the boundaries, then what are we doing? We're showing up on someone else's tennis court and playing by their rules and their created boundaries when we really need to, as a sector, again, I'm channeling here the spirit of you for years, challenging us to say, what the boards, these people that have no connection to our business operation coming in. I got a hundred emails in my inbox right now asking me about cryptocurrency. And I'm like, you don't, you don't do regular fundraising. You don't do it. Well, you, again, you're again, everybody's chasing the magic, you know, diamond in the sky, do the self-work, do the organizational work. Well, and you have to be vulnerable, right? To say, take a look at your personal practices and take a look at your streams. I am so behind that. I agree with you about the cryptocurrency. Oh, it's shiny. Let's go check that out. That'll avoid me having to have meaningful conversations. Okay. So something comes to mind for me around this. When we talk about boundaries, um, I have to say that my perspective on boundaries is shifting a little bit as I pursue this coaching certification, because And I heard Brené Brown talk about this in a podcast where she talked about she doesn't want to be a boundary bully. (laughs) And I do think sometimes when we this this language we use around setting clear boundaries can build a wall up around us with Mm. uh, opportunities. Right. And Mm. and it's a little bit of a negative way of looking at it. So I'm evolving toward. Let me use an example of the kind of behavior I accept from my stepchildren. I have six mm-hmm. of them. And so as a stepmother, I had to learn 
um, that I can't be all in with an open heart the way I am with my own children that came out of my body because it's a different relationship. So I had to learn boundaries and I'm putting air quotes there. But as I continue to explore what that means, you know, it seemed like a great way to, to um, protect me. Uh, and, and yet, but if I open up the boundaries and if instead I say to myself, I deserve to be respected, I deserve kindness, and I am going to build a home where we have respect and we have kindness and we are good to each other and whatever complex human relationship this is, that's what I expect of you. So it's kind of the same thing, except that it's not saying I will not put up with uh, being abused in my home. That's a very clear negative boundary. This is a little bit of a shift. So I just wanted to, you know, if we, if we look at organizations and to your point earlier, Jenny, that the staff member that I feel the most empathy and compassion for who I want to do the most work with around this would be the founder executive director or the first executive director of a small to mid-sized nonprofit who feels like she does have to squeeze blood from a stone. And I use she because most of them are female. Most of them are raising children. Most of them are doing the bulk of the housework. And most of them are putting their heart, their soul and their health, mental and physical on the line for organizations that they think aren't gonna survive without them. And I wonder what might happen if that executive director stops and says, wait, I need to put on my own oxygen mask. Yeah. I'm going to build an organization that pays people yeah. fairly. I'm going to build an organization where we're not sending out emails to the chair of the board at three in the morning mm-hmm. and creating, creating that. Yeah. I'm clapping. This is the thing, though, about the mindset and the uh, and the kind of character roles, those different character roles that Jenny talked about, because when you do this with a team, now you can also lead with an open heart because other people know each other's strengths, weaknesses, trigger points. You know, there was nothing more powerful for me after Mm -hmm. this exercise with somebody saying, Paul, I remember this is a place where you go and you and you default to and it's a place of comfort, but not power. And as respectfully as a peer, I'm saying to you, maybe you should not do that or let that go. Or maybe you should be bold and lean into X. Mm-hmm. It was a whole new world when other people get to know you better. And again, compassion for each other, where you know people are weak and strong, where people get pulled to, because again, part of this is about addiction, right? Again, when you said to yeah, that executive director who can't let go, will the world exist without me? Mm-hmm. And again, in the pandemic in these past few years, when more and more of us have had to say, maybe I need to put some of these things down or I might not make it. Mm-hmm. Again, more more women in the She Session. Thank mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, Armenia yeah. with the Ontario Nonprofit Network and writing in the Toronto Star about this and the Global Mail talking about how many more of these uh, of leadership women although it is a she session and they're in challenge, need to give themselves permission to do what's right for them. And we need to mm. rebuild in a world where these, again, justice issues of pay, access, privilege, power. This power. is what all three of us are going to be focusing on in the next few years about resetting power balances, mm-hmm. internal and external, <laughs> between peers, between charity staff and boards, between fundraisers and donors. And sometimes it's as easy as acknowledging the power. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, it's not even about changing it. It's about acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. Um, you picked up on the word addiction. So I'm kind of going to go with it where if you're this executive director that's saying, I know that I need, I'm trying to get blood from the stone. I know I'm playing the martyr. Um, first of all, I want to say my heart, like Paul goes out to you. Yeah. And second of all, I want to ask you a really tough coaching question, which is what codependencies are you creating that mm-hmm. are for your benefit not the organizations or your staffs because uh, I, I have trouble with the oxygen mask one because I'm just not that person. Like I have such a big heart. It's so hard for me to put the oxygen mask on first to serve mm. others. So the way I've reframed it in my head is the more good I do for myself, the more time I spend in relationship with myself, the more clarity I can have with what's what I'm good at, Paul, like to your point about skills and what I really have a lot of issues or I have, I call them gray spots. Mm -hmm. Um, The more I know myself, the the better I can serve. And so if I can take that oxygen, be self-aware, acknowledge my, like I'm a, I'm a waterfall gal, right? You work for me. You're like, you got to deal with 20 million ideas and you have no idea which idea I actually care about. Mm -hmm. So at least framing it and and I'm, I'm the boss. So that power dynamic exists, right? Mm -hmm. So I might say something to an employee and I have where I say, you know, I'm going to probably spew 12 things and it's okay for you to ask me, Based on this, I'm going to do why. Is that what you're thinking, Jenny? So um, there's a couple of things in there that come up. I don't, I have trouble with the word self-care where it's just not, I was raised, I'm farm, I'm Protestant girl. I'm like work ethic matters the most, right? Those are like built into my DNA. But when I talk about being able to be present for myself so I can serve others, now you've got my attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's such a shift there. You know, again, I, I think about, uh, for for a long time, my own selfish feelings towards both of you, uh, sure. in the sense that yeah. both of you are juggernaut fundraisers. Oh, so what you've well, done you with your life so and career, I can't bother both of you in the sense that you know you've got to see what people's abilities are, and again, specifically things like Kimberly in plan giving and Jenny mm-hmm. in, in in fundraising as this, the culture of. But when you say to yourself, you realize that's this person's strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But oh no, they've got a superpower that maybe they're suppressing. The coaching work that both of you are doing now, I really feel are going to transform organizations and individuals to just burst out of this meat sack we believe in and become celestial beings. You know, like releasing fundraisers from the baggage we hold, from the things we hold ourselves back from, releasing organizations. Again, I, I mm. was talking to this group of investment managers who say, I'm dealing with all these charities that are mm. saying, as inflation happens, how do we keep squeezing blood from our endowment, getting that percentage money? And I'm like, go raise money. Yeah. There's, no, there's unlimited yeah. money out there. And again, you've got to put yourself into the worlds where you can see it. Yeah. So specifically, it was going to a bank and being able to see the ludicrous and yes, kind of stupid wealth. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness for all you family wealth advisors and folks out there who share these stories of me of the ludicrous things people do <laughs> uh, money with wealth. And they don't understand as they seek purpose, as they seek significance, that the exercise they're looking for is charity, is, is mutual aid, is helping, but yeah. gotten lost in fundraising. 
I'd never forget the day when I went to an organization to tell them, you're going to get 5% of everything I have on earth, not just in my will, but in my finances. And the person looked me in the eye and said, I'm here to sell you a $300 ticket to a party. That's my job today. I need you to buy this ticket or my boss is going to kill me. And I said, you're talking about $300. I'm talking about Mm $300,000. Person said, you don't get it. I don't work here by the end of this month, if I don't sell these X tickets. And I was like, we are having my friends yeah. that are, you know, what? So that's when if individuals do the self-work, frankly, to stand up to their boss, mm-hmm. you know, and say, I remember coming out of a major gift meeting with a donor and my colleague, the fundraiser actually got me and she was like, what's wrong with you? You were in there talking about what life goals? We needed a quarter million dollars. Yeah campaign that has an end date and i was like you dummy they wrote us a letter saying they want to give us everything they have on earth that's like five million dollars in your quarter million dollar conversation but again we had not strategized before we went in that person's home we had not never talked about motivations etc your job my job purpose campaigns departments we need to be doing that more can I jump in? I love this and I can so imagine people listening. Is that part of that, Paul, about fewer donors, smaller portfolios, more meaningful connections? Is that one of the extensions of that? That's the stats can data, more money from fewer people. But what's been going on that nobody wants to talk about is stuff like crowdfunding, is stuff like mutual aid. Look, nobody under 30 knows what a tax receipt is. So they're certainly not going to figure out charitable giving and all that. And we certainly haven't helped them. Neither is the revenue agency. But as they see mutual aid and the crowdfunding and helping each other, you know, that's the kind of thing that people, because it's meaning. And if it's 20 bucks and I see that person's life got better, or I give an organization 50 bucks and I never figure out what that money did, that's the meaning thing. Because if we give that person meaning, they go from one time $50 Come to back. $50 monthly to 50000 in the estate plan to then upping to 10000 a year by the time they reach their highest income earning. That's what we know as the true donor journey. But again, we're all trying to, one of my greatest mentors said, you can't fundraise your way out of this. Right. That's yeah. so brilliant. You know what, Kimberly, did you hear how uh, at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about chasing the money? Mm-hmm. Right. And so chasing them, Paul's talking about another language of chasing the money versus connecting with the relationships and trusting. Maybe money is a what's the word? A lagging indicator. It, it's not a, a leading indicator. Maybe it's a means to an end. And and I talk yeah. about that all the time. The, the goal is not the goal for charitable organizations, entrepreneurs. Our goal isn't to make money. Our goal right. is to renovate the kitchen. Our goal is to serve people. Our goal is like, we need to be very mindful of what it is we're trying to pursue and the culture and the, the being, again, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep on saying this for all of 2020, being human forward, doing our own sure. work, figuring out our own inherent mm. biases and, and um, all of that being unapologetically abundant around everything in our lives. Mm-hmm. whether it's for ourselves or for our organizations. And, and when I say unapologetically abundant, I mean, Paul, it was one of your retreats years ago that really helped me through that dark time where I was almost mm-hmm. homeless, where all I could do was wake up and be grateful every single day for 
my breath. <laughs> and then, and so I was grateful that I was breathing. And then I was grateful that I had food. And then I was grateful that I was able to sell my home. <laughs> and, you know, and that, that wherever you are in that journey, because I do want to make a not as we talk about money and, and abundance, we need yes. to just always remember there are some folks particularly, you know, especially now who have been laid off, who are, are really trying to figure that out. Abundance is about more than money. Abundance Absolutely. is about all of our blessings in our lives and the people we surround ourselves with and the choices we make every day. So the beauty and the wonder of going for a walk and just seeing the way the snow is falling on the trees mm -hmm. or watching my puppy play in it for the very first time, you know, there's all, all of these things mm -hmm. that's abundance. And the more we spread that, the money, the money follows. And uh, there are yeah. some people who have also been incredibly successful during the pandemic. And a dear friend of mine disclosed the other day that they were feeling a little bit guilty about how great this pandemic has been financially to them. That's also a mindset, right? And I think about a dear friend of ours who can self-identify if he he, she, they listened to the podcast, um, who posted a tweet on Twitter and said, why are the rest of my staff on holiday and I'm still working? Mm -hmm. And I replied with model the culture you're trying to create, dude, like you're building this business. This is up to you. So it's all very complicated and fluid. And there's a lot more, um, you know, it's socially acceptable to talk about brain thinking and, and physical health and brain health. It's a lot, lot, a lot less socially acceptable to talk about spiritual health and mm. emotional health, mm -hmm. right? Um, for anybody mm -hmm. listening, Deepak Chopra has a, I think it's a 20-day abundance mindset meditation series that's super easy to do. And um, I agree. Kimberly, thank you for bringing us back. It's not, abundance is not just about money. It's one of the tools, but it's not the only tool. And we know based on all the research I've done and all the learning I've done on coaching that our brains repeat patterns, right? So by noticing what we already have or by noticing in our life, the things that we appreciate, mm -hmm. we actually chemically bring in mm -hmm. more of it. It's not mm -hmm. just like woo woo universe stuff. It's like mm -hmm. when you start to realize the love that you have in your house for the people that, I mean, you know, there's, there's days people, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> to be grateful for the people. I'm grateful I have four people in my house. I can't imagine those single people that are doing the pandemic on their own. Mm -hmm. When you notice how grateful you are for that, mm -hmm. more love comes through. It's when you're true. grateful for the money you have already, mm -hmm. regardless of how much it is, mm -hmm. more money comes to you. Mm -hmm. This is chemically proven because mm -hmm. our brain wants to be efficient, right? Mm -hmm. So those neural pathways are built in. And if you want to be compassionate about yourself, remember, that reptilian brain is what got you to 2022. It's been protecting you since day one. And what you're asking your brain to do is rather than, and the science proves this, not say no to a path, mm -hmm. but rather what you said earlier, I forget your, your phrase, but it was, oh, boundaries. It's not that I'm not doing that. It's not a negative path. It's a, right. it's a movement towards a possible or an opportunity. And we are, mm -hmm. as humans, we are built for visioning exercises. We're built for casting a vision that is our, you know, um, Olympians use it. How come we're not walking? Oh, here, I'll show you something kind of fun. Right here on my desk is a bottle of champagne. 
when I hit my target for my business this year, I am going to open this and celebrate. And I have a lovely little note to myself. Physical (laughs) manifestation, right? Mm -hmm. So all of you listening can find something that will remind you of that visualization, that commitment you made. You have to, okay, finally, you have to want your dreams more than your drama. Again, so we think strategic planning is the definition of our dreams, right? And through coaching of individuals and organizations, the two of you say crazy powerful things. Mm -hmm. Things like you are enough, Mm -hmm. you're allowed to stop. You know, money isn't mission. Money drives mission. Our good friend, uh, Guy Malibone, money drives mission. I agree. But it is not the end all and be all. Well, that's that's the tension point, Paul. The tension point is, you know, when we talk about um, mindset and compassion and empathy, and there are people who just need to deliver their budget so they can keep their staff. Like, that's real. That's yeah. a, that's real. So it's a matter of, um, you know, doing more than one thing at a time. But I, I love the introduction, Jenny, that you've given this conversation around, you know, we talk about self-compassion, we talk about saboteurs, we talk about leaders within us. Um, what mm-hmm. if we thought about how do we, what is the inner dialogue we have around money? Mm-hmm. And how can I intend be intentional around shifting that inner dialogue from scarcity to right. abundance? Yeah. And, and maybe just maybe folks who are listening, it, I mean, it's a curious thing. I think I'll do it too. But just write down in your journal when you have thoughts that 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 have to do with money, maybe just write it down and and notice. And I think yeah. you said that at the beginning, you know, tracking your expenses and, and really looking at it so that people can, first of all, figure out how they identify with money, how they use it, what they think about it, and then ask themselves, is that going to, is that going to be helpful or harmful? You were yeah. saying to people sometimes, my friend, and you talk about the reptilian brain, put the shank down. You are fighting monsters of your own making. You know, and with money for a lot of people, I, I think, again, as the Gen X, I think about all these different movies and things. Remember Dennis Quaid had a movie called Enemy Mine, where he was stranded on a planet with an alien and they're speaking two different languages. Yeah. And so many times that's people's relationship with money. Mm-hmm. They've never done the self-work to say, is this a monster or is this mm-hmm. something that can, a friend with power that can lift me up, mm-hmm. that can do things for me. And that's, again, money, especially in mission people get pulled off in these directions, right? That's why every time there's a big request or big, a bunch of money comes in, everybody's like, what happens when people find out we got money? People, the staff will want a living wage. No one will ever donate again. (laughs) Well, the the comment I heard recently from one of my executives was like, um, you know, you're, how do I say no to someone for a raise when they do our financials and they know exactly how much money is in the bank? Mm -hmm. And the answer is finally to say, it's time to stop saying no for everybody. We got to build not just the sector. You're right. And again, you know, this is another shift you'll, you'll see these days in, in public financial management. You can see financial advisors now shifting from an old generation of I'm the sorcerer. You don't even know what I do with these things. That do. You don't even know what the acronyms mean to now more financial advisors being money coaches. Mm-hmm. 
and actually talking to clients about meaning. Again, you know, I was listening to an advisor recently who said, I thought we found out recently that one of our clients, their spouse and them were having some really big issues around money. And the spouse thought that the entrepreneur had a substance abuse problem because they were hiding money and big chunks were disappearing. And it turns out that entrepreneur had decided to bankroll young professionals in their industry, paying for their industry dues, paying for uh, certifications. They were finding incredible joy. And in this particular case, a female entrepreneur empowering young professionals and what they thought it was an abuse problem. And they were like, no, I'm living my greatest dreams, but they seem so indulgent. I'm afraid to share them. And they're like, my friend, we've got to start telling this story. You will inspire others to do this. You want to win a community award because you just helped create a world for young professionals that didn't exist. But when you saw their guilt when you saw, you know, the hiding of money, mm-hmm. all of it, the financial advisor were like, this is nuts. And they called me in because they're like, technically it's charitable giving, but what the hell's going on here? So Paul, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. what did you say? You said, so indulgent, I'm ashamed to share it, Correct. which is exactly the same as you felt about going on that trip with your son and eating oysters. 100%. Jenny, I want to, first of all, so glad to finally have you here. And it's Mm. always nice to hang out with you and we could go on all day. Like I've got 10 other topics that we could talk about. Mm. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts or last words Mm. or calls to action that you would like listeners to take. And before we do that, I also want to acknowledge that at the beginning of the conversation, we started to go down the road of reparations and dirty money and should charities take it or not take it. And, and that, that would have been just a completely different conversation to have. And I still want to have it. So if anybody is listening and that is something that fires you up and you want to dig into that conversation. I want to encourage folks to reach out because that's another important uh, conversation that we should be yeah. having. So very true. Yeah. Thank you Jenny. for that. Yeah. I um. So on the subject of money mindset, I think if I've, if we've piqued your interest, you know, if you're curious, if you're asking, there's a couple of little things you can do. Um, one fun one, kitchen table one is talk to your siblings about what you remember about growing up and mm. what was talked about money, because what you'll quickly realize is even though you're in the same house and live the same, mostly experience, the, the, the stories you took away are completely different. Mm. So it reminds you that mindset is mutable and you can create, you don't have to believe everything you think, right? So that's number one is the kitchen table conversations or, and, or talk to your parents about it. Um, and then the second thing is, I think that fundraisers have a lot more affinity to entrepreneurs, like Paul mentioned, than than we realize. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a couple of great books. There's one book called Happy Money by a guy named Ken Honda. There's, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich. The I think it's the 1911. I know it's still very, very relevant. Um, There's also a um, Denise Duffield book called Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. (laughs) <laughs> um, which is a fantastic book for women, women entrepreneurs. And um, there are the mindset around, yeah, what have you got there? Read that one. Napoleon Hill, yeah, you've got it right there. Thinking <laughs> and, and what it is, is a, it's like an approach. There's two parts. There's an approach to abundance, which you can absorb and live. Alexander Hicks also, um, he's a, um, you can find him on YouTube. 
Mm. This sort of, it will feel so foreign to you when you start and like, who are these crazy people talking about money? Money is out there for our taking. Like it's so foreign to us. But I think as, uh, you know, entrepreneurs believe that, that the way you create your own future is by creating, we create money, right? We don't receive money. Money is created. And I love to talk about reparations. One thing my husband always says that always kind of stops me in my tracks is just because I, oh my God, just because I do well doesn't mean I'm taking the money away from somebody else. And sometimes I think we get caught up in this idea that if we do well, some poor person on the street is going to suffer because of that. And money is a, is a tool and it's a, it's a, it's a liquid, it's a flexibility. It's an intuition that is available out there. We just have to find our way to connect with it. And hopefully some of these books um, will help you kind of reposition and investigate how your relationship with money is Um, as a final exercise. I could go on, but write a love letter to money. Mm. What would it look like? It would Dear be money. A dramatic letter. Yeah. That love hate we all have, right? Well, not all of us. That's the thing. I think we assume, however, our, I'm like that, Paul. So I'm totally with you, right? But for those of you listening, like, what is, what do you want to tell money? What, how do you see money in your life, right? Um, and that's such a personal experience and personal relationship. There is so much for us in the not-for-profit sector to be unpacked about that, but hang out with entrepreneurs, find out how they see failure. Oops, that business didn't go well. Mm -hmm. I guess I learned a lot. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. God, I'd like Mm -hmm. to have more of that in my life. So thank you, Kimberly and and Paul, for the opportunity to kind of unpack this. And I hope this is the beginning of a conversation for many people. And again, Kimberly, thank you for continuing these conversations in the hub on Clubhouse and uh, Facebook group and places So I hope fundraisers and peers join us there because these are how we're going to continue them for yourself Mm -hmm. to be able to, because you're going to have to say to yourself, you're enough a thousand times till you believe it. Mm -hmm. And again, we've got to get the institutional help to say, you're allowed to stop. You're allowed to think you can pause in those things. That's again, my motto for 2022 is, uh, is really one day at a time. We've lived through how much. And it's, this is a great opportunity to be rethinking. And that was mm-hmm. a big one, right? Last year, I think every podcast I talked about mm-hmm. Adam Grant's. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but this is it. This is our opportunity. So thank you both too for leading these conversations out in mm-hmm. public and coaching with individuals. This is what I believe so strongly. If mm-hmm. people and organizations want to transform, you're, both of you have helped my team to do it. I think more teams out there need to be doing this too. Otherwise, what? It's just fundraising tactics to the cows come on. Seriously, that conversation really shifted my mindset around how I think about and talk about money. And I know you can tell Paul was super jazzed up too. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed that. And as always, thank you for being here. And we'd love it if you would help widen the circle by sharing, subscribing and reviewing this podcast. We are so glad to have you in the hub. See you next time.